This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the One who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, during the Easter season, we've been reading continuously from the Acts of the Apostles. I mentioned a few weeks ago that the Acts of the Apostles gives us a beautiful picture of the early church, what it was like, what the first Christians did, how they lived, how they spoke. And it becomes thereby a model for us as we, the church now of the 21st century, seek to follow the Lord. What we find today in the first reading is the first great evangelical sermon of the Christian church. It's Pentecost morning. The Holy Spirit has just rushed upon the 11 gathered in the upper room. Now they are out on the street in the holy city of Jerusalem, all the pilgrims have gathered from around the world, and before these hundreds of people, maybe thousands of people, Peter gets up and preaches a sermon, the first evangelical sermon in Christianity. When I started this program now over a year ago, I advertised it as a program of Catholic evangelical preaching. In some ways, I've been trying to imitate, during this past year or so, what St. Peter did on this Pentecost morning, this prototype of Christian sermonizing. What do we notice first in his speech? The Bible says he raised his voice and proclaimed. I think that in itself is worthy of attention. Here's Peter, a Galilean fisherman. By all accounts, not so much a poor man, but a relatively simple man, uneducated man, standing up in the capital, the political, the economic, the religious capital of his nation, and before this widely diverse audience, he speaks how? Boldly, confidently, and with a sort of panache, he proclaims something. There is nothing reticent unsure, wishy-washy about Christian preaching. At its best, it's always confident. It is a proclamation of something. Peter has been seized by the Holy Spirit of God, and filled with that Spirit, he speaks in a loud voice. Notice, please, Christians, this is not simply for professional preachers, people like me, people like ordained priests. But all baptized people are called upon to exercise the prophetic office to proclaim their faith. How often we privatize our faith. We keep it to ourselves. We don't loudly and boldly proclaim it. Well, here's St. Peter, the first Christian preacher, doing just that. You know, one of the great evangelists of the 20th century, Billy Graham, said at one of his preaching schools, always preach with conviction. What convinces people is when you yourself are clearly convinced, convicted. 
a kind of vacillating, wishy-washy, I'm not quite sure what I mean sermon does not persuade people. And again, I mean not just formal sermons, but whenever you talk about your faith, to do it with this kind of confidence. Now, what does he say when he raises his voice? Listen. Let the whole house of Israel know for certain that God has made both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. There's a whole world in that little opening statement. Peter's proclaiming not some idea of his, not a new philosophy, not a self-help program, not a bright idea that has come to him, but rather he proclaims something that God has done. Christian preaching, Christian proclamation is always about the work of God. What has God done? He has raised Jesus of Nazareth from the dead. We are essentially an Easter people. Our proclamation at bottom is an Easter proclamation. We talk about Jesus' teaching. We talk about his life, his miracles, his gestures, yes, but because he's the one whom God raised from the dead. That is the heart and soul of Christian proclamation. If we stop proclaiming that, then our faith devolves into something like a philosophy or a mysticism. We proclaim that God the Father has raised from the dead Jesus of Nazareth. All Christian preaching, all Christian proclamation must touch upon this mystery stubbornly, insistently, confidently. Now listen again to what Peter says. God has made this Jesus both Lord and Christ. He's the Christ, the anointed one. He's the Messiah, the one Israel has been expecting for centuries. He's it. He's the fulfillment. And he is Lord. Now, in a biblical framework, that's a very powerful word. Remember the name of Yahweh could not be pronounced because it was such a sacred name. On purpose, the biblical authors urged people not to pronounce the sacred name of God. So instead, they referred to God usually as Lord. Now, this name is given to the risen Jesus. Lord. That is to say, at the same level as God. That is to say, everything, the center, the all, the unsurpassable, because of the resurrection, Jesus of Nazareth, everything he said, everything he did, his whole life, Jesus of Nazareth is recognized as the Lord. You know what this does, Christians? It ratifies all of the improbably bold things that Jesus said about himself during his life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Notice, please, unlike other religious founders, he's not saying, I found a way, let me show it to you. I've discovered a truth, let me reveal it to you. No, he is the way, he himself. He is the truth, he himself. 
How about the claim from the gospel for today? I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. The only way into the sheepfold is by me. Now, I grant you, in our context, given our etiquette of inclusion and tolerance, this language is hard to take. We like to be open to a wide variety of viewpoints, to listen to a wide range of perspectives. But here is Jesus now making these exorbitant, even exclusive claims about himself. What Peter is saying in this first evangelical sermon is, the resurrection confirms all this language. The resurrection ratifies it. What he said about himself has now been ratified by God. He is the Lord. Now, what's the implication? The implication is, he must be the center. He's everything. He's my life. Now my whole life must be oriented to him. No compromise is possible. No second guessing. No maybe, I'll think about it. Evangelical preaching, like Peter's, compels a decision about Jesus of Nazareth. He's Lord. Or he's nothing. He's the center of your life. Or he's peripheral. It's your decision. God has made him both Christ and Lord. Now listen to what else he says. This Jesus whom you crucified. Now imagine the scene. Here's Peter standing up in the capital city, surrounded by a crowd, hundreds, maybe thousands, from all over the Mediterranean world. And he says, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, he's not making lots of distinctions, clarifications. You crucified him. Your leaders, yes. The Romans, yes. But in a certain sense, all of you. At the end of the day, at the moment of truth, everybody fled, as the gospel says. Our sins reveal our resistance to Jesus. He comes as the Lord of life. And in our sin, we resist him. In our sin, we bring him to the cross. Jesus, as I've often said, precisely as Lord, is the judge of the world. He's the criterion of the world. Peter's first evangelical sermon reminds people of their sin. Don't make excuses. Don't pretend that you're okay. Don't pretend you don't need a doctor. No, you are sinners. The proof? You crucified the Lord of life. I love this juxtaposition, this very high claim about Jesus as Lord, and now you've got to make him the center of your life. And then this equally bold claim that you are sinners and you have to know it. What does this do to people? Listen, we might expect, well, they're going to be angry. They're going to be reactive. They won't take this. But listen to what the Acts of the Apostles says. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they asked Peter and the other disciples, what are we to do? 
Christians' good evangelical preaching, good Christian proclamation, good bold speech about the Lord always calls people to decision. They're not bored by this. Rather, they are roused to action. Peter tells them clearly what they must do. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Repent. There's that word that Jesus used in his inaugural address. The first word out of his mouth in Mark's gospel is repent. What it means is change your life in the most radical sense. Look, if Jesus Christ is Lord, that means he's God. That means he's the center. He's everything. We must give our minds to him. We must give our souls to him. We must give our wills to him. We must give our emotions to him. We must give our bodies to him. Everything in us belongs to him. And that's what repentance means. It means turn your life around. If Jesus is a mildly interesting first century rabbi, if he's a mildly interesting philosopher, well, I'm not going to repent and give him my whole life. I might give him a little bit of my attention, a little bit of my time. I might read his ideas and find them intriguing. But that's not who he is. He's Lord, Lord, and therefore he requires this repentance. Now, let me close with this. What happens when you repent? Peter says, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the love between the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit is the divine life. When you turn all of your powers and all of your energies and all of your faculties to Jesus the Lord, you receive the life of God. You begin thinking, acting, willing, gesturing with the thoughts and the will and the life of God. At the end of the gospel for today, Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. That's the goal of evangelical proclamation, to draw us into Christ's life. God bless. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. To purchase copies of The Word on Fire, call 847-297-4360. That's 847-297-4360.